Thanks so much for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you are interested in more of what we've got going on, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Right, so we got an unusual podcast coming at them. Mm-hmm. So if you, uh, you know, if you felt like we're we're recording this the week of our congregational meeting, and if you went to that service and you felt like, man, I just wished I had a sermon, we're giving you a twofer. Basically, That's this right. is a sermon That's right. right here. And so, what? Just to kind of give you an idea of what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we are actually going to do four full episodes, one episode for each of the four gospels in the next few weeks, and. Those are each going to serve as sort of a review of the Gospels, some fun details of that, and sort of lay that out. But we're in the Gospels when our reading, and we thought we would just pause here and say, this is the sermon we would have preached if we weren't doing our congregational meeting. And it's in the book of Mark, and it's so good. Uh, you know, it's it's very important and special for us to focus on Mark. Mm-hmm. I think so. I thought you would. So <laughs> I would. I imagined you would say something like that. So... Basically, this isn't really a, we're not really preaching, but we're going to read through the passage like we would have if we were preaching, and then we're going to make some comments along the way, but but then we will kind of drive it as a final sermon, so to speak. So kind of folks imagine that you're just sitting in our offices as maybe we're preparing for a sermon. This is basically what it's like, which I thought would be a cool podcast to do just to give people, you know, that backdoor look at, at what it looks like to put something together. So with that said, we're looking at Mark 5 through 9. If you've got a Bible, uh, go grab it. If you want to push pause right now and then come back and grab it, or sorry, come back and read it with us, that'd be great. But uh, have a Bible nearby or, or maybe your phone, pull it up, start in Mark 5. And we're going to pick passages and kind of bounce around a little bit, and we're driving toward a point that's going to come to our conclusion. So with that said, we're looking at some miraculous things. Pastor Mark, take it away. Yeah, one of the most dynamic stories. And I say that, but I look at the rest of the ones we're going to look at and they're all (laughs) dynamic. So, but uh, memorable for sure. Um, Mark five, starting at verse one, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when, they, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. 
And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Is that one of those ones that you would want to be there to see? Not a very dynamic story at all. No. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, just think about the sheer number of demons there was Mm -hmm. to send a roughly 2,000 pigs into the sea. Sure. Which, by the way, then comes becomes deviled ham, right? It's one of the great pre- I can't preacher ever, jokes of I all time. I can't ever yeah. not say that. Yeah, I mean, deviled ham, Mark 5. But, <laughs> but so much going on here, just showing Jesus' power. It, it Just fascinating right in the beginning there that, they would, that he runs to him. Yep. I mean, Jesus barely gets out of the boat, and we're told immediately the man meets him with an unclean spirit. Yeah. And then to describe him as one as no one, uh, one that no one could bind, it, which sounds very familiar to an Acts passage that we studied, right? The sons of you know, yeah. right? The sons of Sceva, right? The seven of them trying to, and the demons beat him up, basically. Yeah, there's that, and I think it's interesting that the only person so far in the Book of Mark who really knows who Jesus is is a man full of unclean spirits. Yeah, that. A little crazy, you know? Yeah, and to call Jesus son of the most high yep. God. He, he doesn't uh, withhold the the title, does he? No, it's almost like James when he says the demons believe this and they shudder. That's exactly, exactly what's going on. All right, we got to keep moving because there's so much that we're going to look at today. So verse, But I want to stay here. There's so I, I, much we, to talk about. We all do, but let's look <laughs> at the end of that story. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. I loved it. It's just, it's fantastic. Verse 21 then. And when Jesus had crossed again on the boat to the other side, which means he was in enemy territory, and then he went back to the Jewish side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better than, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, what? Immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said, you see the crowds pressing about you. And yet you say, who touched me? (laughs) And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Beautiful. And while he was still speaking there from the ruler's house, some came who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. 
Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Nothing dynamic in that account. Yeah, (laughs) nothing major. Wow. And I think it's so cool that there's so much fear in this passage. We, we taught this at a, you know, kind of a workshop recently, JD, uh, one of our former interns who shared an office with me and, and I worked through this with a bunch of people and we talked about how many times fear comes up mm-hmm. and Jesus keeps saying, do not fear, do not fear, yeah. do not fear, trust me. And there have reason to be afraid because he really is who he says he is. But yet I love that God is so approachable here and wanting people to just come to him, even if they're in their worst possible situation. Yeah, and and you think of the spirit within the woman who's coming to to touch him. Uh, Such humility, Mm -hmm. but desperation, and uh, sort of a willingness to put it all on the line, uh, which is, it's it's interesting. And then for him to just refer to her as daughter, uh, your faith has made you yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Go in peace. Yeah. She hasn't known peace for a long time. No. Nope. So you're healing an older woman, healing a little girl. That even that next to each other, yeah. you know, right after healing the demon guy in the in the cemetery, you're going, Whoa, this guy's something's crazy's going on. He's he's a good guy. There's there's something interesting about him that's beyond what we can possibly comprehend. And think of Jairus, you know, he's got this little girl and he just loves her and he wants to protect her yep. and desperate, but but has this understanding, I need to go to the one who can do something about yeah. it. And as dad daughters, we totally understand that. We do. Maybe too much sometimes. So, yeah. All right. Chapter six, verse seven. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear their, to wear sandals and not, not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. It's contagious. It is. So you see in chapter 5, Jesus is doing all these amazing things. And then just imagine being one of the disciples here. You know, you're one of the 12. You've been chosen. You're special. You're different than the, you know, Jesus has this big, I'm going to use the word gaggle because it's fun, right? This big gaggle of disciples. And he picks 12 of them out and says, you're the 12. And then their first assignment, by the way, you 12, now I need you to go out and cast out demons and do some miracles. Can you imagine? Do you feel qualified to do so? (laughs) Imagine what they were feeling. (laughs) No, it's nuts. Like, really? We're going to do this? This is crazy. You know, and, and, you know, obviously there is faith involved because they believed in the one who sent them. Sure. Because if they didn't have faith in him and what he said, then they wouldn't even go out and try. Totally. Uh, And and imagine them, (laughs) imagine the high fives the first time it worked. Totally. (laughs) Holy cow, he said he said a mustard seed of faith, and it really does work. Uh, sorry, that's probably my jealousy coming through there a little 
bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, you've had a mo- number of jealousy moments with the disciples. I love it. <laughs> the, the other thing that I think about, too, is just imagine the conversation. You know, who got paired with who? Yeah. You know, is it Judas with, with Philip? And they're walking along, and Philip's yeah. like, hey, so who's going to take the lead here? And Judas is like, I don't even know that we should be doing this. I'm not qualified to do so. And Yeah, Philip's going home that night going, man, I got a bummer of a partner. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's something off with my partner. <laughs> and man, does he have a lot of money. And just okay. in case you're looking, we do not know which disciples were paired with who. We are creating a scenario that's not real. We do this all the time, by the way, in our sermon prep. We just kind of come up with crazy, weird scenarios and then yeah. we drop them off the face it's, of the earth. I've heard preachers call it sanctified imagination. Well, I don't know how <laughs> sanctified those comments were. But uh, I think it's I think it's fun to... to especially in narrative scripture like this, to slow down and just imagine it. Sure. You know, and what would that have been like yeah. to see that and uh, uh, to put yourself there, you know? Yeah. So we fast forward in the story to when they return. Check this out in verse 30 of chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus, and just apostle there means sent out ones, and they were just sent out. So notice they're called disciples earlier, and then he sends them out, and now they're apostles, which is really great. So the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You probably have never noticed that part of the verse. Uh, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away on the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late, because he was supposed to take them to a desolate place. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. <laughs> they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, and they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. And so they went down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And giving the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Those of you who had a chance to come and watch Fish Eyes, they did a fantastic job of, of presenting this idea of what sure. it would have been like to do that and, and to look at these meager proportions that they're bringing before Jesus and him going, okay, well, hand it out. <laughs> but what, I mean, what that just tells us about who, Jesus is and and what he can do with that which is visible and invisible. Totally. I mean, wow, what a moment. And one of the things you and I have talked about many times with this passage is, and we've never, I don't know if we've ever preached this because it's, it's just ludicrous and there's no point in preaching it, but it's fun to do for a podcast. Did the loaves just, you know, did he pray over a basket and suddenly there were 7,000 loaves in the basket or was it one of those things where there were always five and he just kept grabbing and handing them out? And there, yeah. if you look down, there were always five more. We we have no idea how this went, but those are the types of rabbit trails that I love to kind of go down and go, I don't know, but that's interesting to think about. Yeah, did they watch it? Did they watch it increase? Because they, they had to be getting curious as they're handing sure. them out, you know. And But I just envision, I envision them walking through this crowd making a ki- eye contact with each other, maybe 30, 50 feet apart or more, looking at each other, just shaking their heads like, 
this is ridiculous. Yeah. Is this really happening? You know, yeah. and just this, these disciples just grinning ear to ear by what they're doing and, and what watching happen and, and whether even people are realizing it or not. And I'm yeah. sure Pete, the crowd did begin to notice that, wait, they're not going back with these baskets to refill them. Sure. They just keep going and going. Sure. How deep is that basket? And what, what a, a, a beautiful, beautiful evidence of his power. But there had to be just great joy in that. I can't imagine watching that, at least being part of that as a disciple, not just being overwhelmed with joy. Oh, totally. And worship, you know, because you realize well, I am way out of my league here with this man. Joy, worship, and then how do you not trust this guy? Yeah. I mean, if he's able to make bread pop out of thin air and more fish, which just, again, ludicrous thought, just fish that doesn't end and bread that doesn't end, <laughs> people would be going, wait, 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 what is going on here? This is amazing. But he's not done yet, is he? No, he's not. Where are we here? 724? Yeah. No, 645. Sorry. Yeah, I jumped ahead. Oh, yeah, we can't, can't miss this. Can't miss it. This is huge. Oh, my. Immediately he made his disciples eat. And, and or his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Beth- Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, which is very curious, by the way. But, <laughs> but when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. Wow. I mean, wow. Good stuff. Quite a quite a scene to imagine. And, man, I have so many questions about this just based upon uh, why was he going to pass them by? It's a crazy question. He just wanted to get to the other side and beat them? Or How did the disciples even know that? So they must yeah. have talked this story over oh, so many yeah. times. And I go, what were you doing? Yeah, and where were like, you going? Well, I was just going to walk past you guys. Wait, what? So then, you know, so then whatever re- for whatever reason, the disciples decided to make sure that that got into the Gospels. Crazy. It's good. It's good. And look at verse 53. And when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Interesting. Yeah. Like, we got a little idea of that before, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that they all think, if I just touch the fringe of his garment, everything's going to be fine. There's clearly some teaching things going on. There's some crazy connections that are happening We'll save those, and we've, we've talked about it a little bit in another sermon. We'll save those for some other time. You know, if you go to Israel with us, I guarantee you we're going to talk about this story. Because mm-hmm. I, when I read this part, 
this part of Galilee and the Decapolis, we are going to go there. Whenever I do a trip to Israel, it's always going to hit these parts because it, it has to happen. You know, so Gennesaret is just outside yeah. of Galilee. Back where the demoniac. Yep, they're all right, like it's all right next to each other. And so, you know, you're talking it through and you're going, in my mind, I see Capernaum and I turn and I see the hill behind where the feeding of the 5,000 happened. And when you're standing on that hill, you look over to the left, you see the Gerasenes, you see, you know, the Decapolis, and then you look down and you see Gennesaret, you see Galilee, like it's all right there. So, you know, I think sometimes we think of Jesus traveling all hundreds of miles. Yeah. No, especially at night. I mean, we stayed in a, in a kibbutz just, we were on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And at night, you just walk out to the lake and you see Capernaum, mm-hmm. you see Tiberias, you see, I mean, all of the cities are right next to each other. And so you go, oh, this is way closer than I thought it was. Yeah. So I think even that, I, 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 I don't know what if, when I was going to say that in this podcast, but it, it needs to be said. We're, we're within just a few miles of every one of these places. Yeah. So when you hear, and words, word about him spread, and they all went and told everybody, yeah, of course they did. Like, hey, the miracle workers, he, he yeah. came to our town. Like, let's go get everybody and let's, let's bring them in. Yeah. So we skip into seven. We're, if you haven't noticed yet, we're just picking some of the more miraculous passages here, but this whole chunk is it's amazing. Yeah, there's a, so much going on. Verse 24. From there, he arose, and that from there, by the way, is where we just were, so the, the Gennesaret area. So from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is to the north. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whoa. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way, and the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. And then they returned from the region of Tyre and Sidon and went to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. This is back to where the the demoniac guy had the situation. And they brought him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And he, taking him aside from the crowd privately, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looked up to heaven, he said to him, Aphatha, which means be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged him to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So he's a minor character in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, have you ever thought, is it, was it almost cruel of Jesus to say, hey, don't tell anybody? Yeah. I mean, how do they not? This is the biggest, most dynamic thing they've seen probably in their lives. Oh, don't tell anybody about it. Yeah. And you how know. do you do that with, people are going to ask questions. So are you asking people to lie? Because that sounds weird. And clearly he's not doing that, right? Jesus would never ask somebody to lie. So then you go, weren't you the deaf and mute guy that couldn't talk? Yeah, I was. (laughs) You're talking to me right now. Yes, I am. What happened? Yeah, I can't say. Guy spit on my hands. (laughs) Who was it? I don't know. You're like, what? how do you not answer questions when those come out? It's just, it's amazing. Clearly, clearly. The more he he said it, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Sure. Why were they proclaiming it? They were seeing what is... It's not, you know, they're not able to see, they're supposed to be able to see. Totally. They're seeing power. They're understanding that this is so much bigger than anything they've known or dreamed of. Right. I mean, 
they can't contain themselves. No. And Mark highlights this point so much better than some of the other Gospels, which is why we're kind of going through this. Because a lot of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this kind of section where Jesus is just boom, 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 miracle, miracle, miracle. But this one, if you noticed, they crossed back to the spot where the, the, you know, the unclean spirits jumped out into the pigs, and then they brought this deaf guy. Yeah. And then what's going to happen in the beginning of chapter 8 in just a second is in that same region. So the feeding of the 4,000 is to a Gentile group. The feeding of the 5,000 is to the Jewish group. And Mark makes that very clear, whereas some of the other Gospels kind of blurred all together a little yeah. bit. But Mark wants us to know, no, this section started with the Syrophoenician woman in Tyre and Sidon. Then he came down, went to the other side of the lake where we're not supposed to be, where this demon-possessed guy you know, just went crazy. And then he healed a guy that was deaf, and then a whole crowd of people came up, which is, leads us into chapter 8. Yeah. Chapter 1, or verse 1 of it, chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples. Uh, or he called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Sounds familiar. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way home. And some of them have come from far away. His disciple to answer him, how can, we, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And he said, seven. And then he directed, he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should, also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up their broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Why why is the disciple asking at you this point? Heard, yeah, you heard me laughing, right? Yeah. Like it, I, I couldn't even stop myself as you read this thing. It's always hilarious to me. You just asked that same question, and he fed 5,000. This is a smaller crowd, and you're like, how are we going to feed this many people in this desolate place? Jesus, this doesn't work. The passage gets better when we go into verses yes, 11 and 12. You can't ignore it because no. the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. <laughs> but... He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if again, if we're preaching this sermon, Mark 5, 6, 7, and 8. Mark, how many miracles have we noticed so far? Yeah, I haven't kept count. It's Too unfathomable. Many, yeah. it, well, it even says so many happen that we can't even process and they're the, yeah, so, the so many the, that came and just touched the fringe sure. of his garment, all that. Yeah, there's sure. just no way to know. And here the Pharisees walk up. Do uh, you want to give us a sign to prove that you are who you say you are? Yeah, and, and I think they're trying to exercise some authority there. Like, uh, sure. yeah, do do me some magic, magic man, kind of thing, you know, right. and really kind of trying to control the, <laughs> the scenario there. I mean, crazy. It is. And, it's, is, and that's expressed in him sighing deeply in his spirit. Mm-hmm. Why does this generation seek a sign? Yeah. Certainly because they're unbelieving, you know. Right. Right? I mean, that has to be the answer to that. 
So I would love to say that all the miracles are done at this point, but we're still, you know, a chapter and a half away from being done. So let's, verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not enter the village. The description of trees is is interesting, isn't it? I see movement of objects. Strange. (laughs) Vertical objects. And, And I'll be honest with you. I, and I guess the podcast listener as well, this story. And then the one where he spit, and like put his fingers in the guy's ears and mouth, you know, for the, a fat, the, those two, these don't make any sense to me. They, yeah. He doesn't need to do any of this. You know, he healed a girl with a demon just by saying, go home. Yeah. It's taken care of. So then you start to ask the question, if, if he's doing miracles in different ways, maybe there's something else going on. And so I've kind of come to grips with maybe he's doing this for the sake of the people that he's doing this for, you know, maybe they're expecting some great miracle, you know, think back and name in the Syrian, you know, who yeah. shows up and, doesn't want to dip himself. I thought, in the, I thought you would do yeah, something more dramatic. I'm not going in the dirty Jordan. <laughs> and so maybe Jesus just knows their heart. You know, the, the he just senses right where they are being God. And just they are overwhelmed by him. And he goes, you know what? Here we go. I'm going to give you a little something here. So I'm going to spit, you know, rub it together. Stick it in your eyes. Do you see yet? No. How about now? Yeah, actually, dude. So that's the best explanation I've come up with yet. Yeah. But, it, but even then, I, I don't know that that's a good satisfactory answer at this point. Well, certainly the, we see evidence and signs that he, he knew what various people needed. You know, go back to the woman with the issue of blood. Sure. I mean, he calls her daughter. Yep. Um, I think he's, in that he's addressing more than a physical need. He's addressing an emotional need in her right. as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, for him to know what, that these people need this. All right. Yeah. If I need to do it this way, I'll do it this way. You know. No, it's good. Good. All right, last chapter, chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them, to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that Elijah, uh, that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. 
So if you were doubting that he is who he says he is, he just shows you. Yeah. I've always wondered how they know it's Elijah and Moses. I Absolutely. You know, is it, are they close enough that Peter's listening in on the conversation and he have hears? The, have the sketches of him passed down been accurate enough? I highly doubt that's the case. You've had a couple, that was a very good artist. I, I, I know, yeah. You've had a couple of exiles since then. I don't think that those sketches would have been what was priority for people. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But you got that. Or you, or are you close enough Peter to Peter pulled Jesus? out his iPhone and it was definitely the... They're like, yeah, this is Instagram. This is clearly Moses. Uh, no, you look at Moses and you think, I, I wonder if, if Jesus is standing there, Eli and Moshe, and they go, what? This is them. Yeah. You know? Because I've always wondered if they talked to Jesus later and found out this is who they are. But this account clearly says, Peter says, should we build three, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses? Yeah. This is obviously, again, one of these cases where what we are given to read and to know is not every sure. detail and that sure. those are the things that torture me about narrative scripture sure. like it's just come on what else happened and who, you know and, how and, did they know well and one other fun tidbit for the bible nerds in the in the listening audience here or is it because they're on a high mountain and they know the stories that they know elijah and moses have talked to god on a high mountain and they go this has to be them yeah but any one of those is possible but it and it certainly so, was jesus would have corrected them if they were wrong you know in that assumption yeah no, man, this is Enoch <laughs> and Zechariah. What is wrong with you? Did you not read? Oh, my gosh, you guys are terrible. Jesus, this is a sketch I'm working with, and it's, it's centuries old. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I just ad-libbed that. But imagining Jesus saying, oh, my gosh, is really funny to me. Just, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm ridiculous. All right, verse 14. And they came out. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So this is the four coming down off the mountain at this point. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that has made him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it is awesome to cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, <laughs> what, a, what a statement. Mm. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, If you can't, so if you can, my, my Bible has like a weird little mark there. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child called out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the, evil, or the unclean spirit, saying to him, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast that one out? And he said to them, this one cannot come out by anything but prayer. That's all. Yeah, very simple. Minor detail. So, you know, we, we've given you a lot there. We yeah. read through a ton of passages. Again, if we were, you know, doing like a sermon workshop thing, this is a lot of chunks. We would probably just read it really fast. And the goal that we'd be aiming for is trying to come up with some main thoughts or conclusions, right? Some, some ideas, what, 
What would we run with? What is what is this telling us about Jesus? Well, and, and it might be answered by just uh, presenting another question. What is Jesus doing here? What is he showing yeah. here? And certainly this is that point where he's, he's proving who he is. Sure. Um, because had he not done these things, we would very likely never know about Jesus, right? Sure. Um, so th- there is that point where he's just, okay, you need to realize who I am and, and these people who were able to witness it or to experience it, um, to be the ones who had him lay his hand on them and their illness is gone or right. the blood stops or, or the sight is re- returned. Um, certainly was proof to them, but, but proof to those around who, who knew Oh, that man's been blind forever, or mute, or, or we haven't even been able to chain this man down. Right, and all of a sudden he's calm and in his right mind. Like, wow. Um, so yeah, there, there's that proving who mm-hmm. he is, what he's Lord of. Yeah, and you know, you think later on a passage like Colossians one, where Paul says he's, you know, creator of all things, visible and invisible. And you start to go, well, what is invisible? Well, we saw a bunch of it in this passage, didn't we? Yeah. The evil spirits, those individuals, you know, angels, all that kind of stuff. The stuff that we can't see, that we tangibly, the Bible tells us it's real, but we maybe can't touch and feel. We don't know that they're there. And all of, all of a sudden we see in these passages, Jesus is the Lord of, of the things that are visible, that we can see, bread, fish, yep. you know, the water. But he's also ruler over the things that we can't see. Yeah, and, and uh, ministering, to both the Jews and the Gentiles. I've sometimes wondered, you know, is part of the, you know, getting in the boat, going from one area to another, and just because the Jewish crowd had gotten so large that he needed to really, yeah. you know, try to escape from them a little bit. And so, oh, let's go over here where the Gentiles are or wherever, where the demons are or whatever. Because right. um, we know the Jews aren't going to that spot. Yeah. And they didn't. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> Even the disciples would probably be like, yeah. "Are we? why are we going over here? This isn't good. Yeah, and he's Lord of nature. He's Lord of everything that we could possibly have. So then the big question becomes, okay, so then why is all this written down for us? Who benefits from from reading this? Well, and certainly we all do, don't we? I mean, um, those who who witnessed it had that, and they would never forget it. There's no way. You can't tell me those people forgot it. And, And But for it to be written down and passed along so we would know that that the the one who was prophesied about came and he proved himself among many and there were witnesses and whether it was the hungry who got to eat. um, And it's our way of salvation to know who he is. Yeah. I think that's all huge. And, And I think the one other big takeaway, so just to kind of work through them really quick one more time. So the big takeaway we take from this is that he's the Lord over all these things. Second, this takeaway is declaring him to be the Lord of those things. So mm-hmm. the people who benefit from it are the people who read it, the people, you know, the people who are around it. But then lastly, what I'm also seeing in this is there's some type of pushing, uh, almost like I imagine the disciples in Mark one through four as kind of the baby bird who's in the nest you know, needing Jesus to for, feed them everything, force feed them. Yep. Shoot up and yep. shove it down their throat. And then all of a sudden in five, he's kind of just, oh, you guys yeah. ready to go? Yeah, certainly. I mean, that whole, okay, all right, now, hey, 
you need to do this. And just the fact that he even gathered the disciples, of course, that's a very Jewish concept, right? Right. Um, but he, he's saying, listen, um, I'm going to, I'm going to show you what, what can be done here. And by the way, you're going to do it too. Mm-hmm. And, and even all the way to the point of, oh, there's no prayer in this. You know, think about the end. <laughs> you only be done through prayer. Kind of that reminder. Okay. Don't, don't start thinking you are doing this. Right. You know, th- this is, this is divine. Right. It's not you doing something. Right. It's, it's, it's divine power. Which going back to our Philip and Judas scenario that didn't maybe happen, but imagine those two going, well, we were sent out earlier. We never prayed once and we did all these amazing miracles. Yeah. Like that might've been that moment where they sure. just go, oh, how did we forget that on that trip? And why did yeah. God do miracles through us anyway? He's so merciful to us, you know? Yep. And you know what? You and I know too from our own personal experience, oh, totally. even right here, that it's easy to, to get into a routine and do things and, and forget that God has totally. to bring the change. Totally. That's why we always have to keep going back to prayer, don't sure. we? Even what we were doing with the elders just recently and the oh, pastors totally. of just reviewing prayer and going back going, guys, we've got to be men of prayer, you know? And you and I have both been either in a bigger meeting or we've had tons of conversations, just the two of us talking about the future or things that we're excited about, like what God might be doing at Park Hills. And we both look at each other and go, we haven't prayed about this. Yeah. What are we doing? And so we back up and stop and we pray. And and I love those reminders and those moments where we just kind of get convicted and go, yeah, what are we doing? Why are we even thinking about this without without that? And what part, so partly what that's us doing there is we're sharing with you, the, we're just like you, you know, the, the word pastor doesn't mean that we have anything special. Just like the disciples here, they've been sent out. They've been given a special title. There's really nothing special about them. Pretty ordinary guys. They're, they forgot to pray just like everybody else. They're not able to get rid of this demon. Or they doubted that food could be multiplied again. How, yeah. how are we going to do this? We're in a desolate place, Jesus. You can't feed people here. You're like, were you with me like a couple of days ago when I did this on the, okay, whatever. But but there's this, there's something here about we are just like everybody else. You're all like it. And if you come to that conclusion of, man, we haven't prayed about this, honey. You know, or kids, we, we've been talking about this too much. Let's, let's come over here and let's just pray about it. Yeah, It's never too late to do that. And, and all these stories, if, as we're saying here, Every one of them is kind of reminding us, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. You're going to be struggling with yourself. You're going to be like who you are all the time. And as you follow Jesus, he's making you better. He's changing you. He's molding you into who he wants you to be. But he's still going to remind you. You just go, no, 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 that's not even close to what this is. So I see all this, this, there's this testing, right? There's this guiding of the discipleship process. And I think about it when I'm discipling someone or when someone comes to me and asks, you know, for a little mentorship or whatever, so much of that process is just, you just got to live life with me. Yes, time. And as we go through it and we spend a little time together, you start to realize maybe I'm a little different than, than what you are. And that isn't because I'm special. It's because I learned from my mentor who learned from his mentor and so on and so yeah. forth. And every one of us have these individuals in our life who have guided us and helped us really think, oh, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to do it this way. So you've got to have somebody in your life that's doing that. You've got to have somebody that's that's pushing you toward this. But that person isn't enough for you. The only person who's enough for you is the Lord of all creation, which is this whole yeah. section. And that's such a great takeaway for us in this. And the whole thing of, you know, how he made disciples and encouraged us to make disciples just to go back and go, it's all about him. This is about the Lord. And it's it's all got to be done in his power. And I want to jump back to something, too. And, and you mentioned it earlier and as we read it, this whole do not fear, only believe thing. The danger in some of that would be, 
um, going toward maybe even health and wealth theology of sure. if you just believe it'll be okay. And maybe Chris, just uh, throwing a little curveball at you here. You know, the do not fear, only believe. You know, I, I think I think you'd agree that where people go astray on that is thinking whatever they want to happen will happen as long as they don't fear and they believe. Um because certainly Christians have experienced time where they believed in something they're asking for, but it didn't happen. Sure. Uh, so, you know, don't you think this is speaking more to just believe that, that God is God and that he has control over it, everything and it'll be okay? Well, one of the things in that workshop that I mentioned a little bit ago too, one of the takeaways that a number of us had was they, they're coming to him because they think he can heal them which might mean that they think he is God potentially. And the fact that they're fearing him the way they are, like afraid to approach him mm-hmm. might suggest that they don't know the God that they're supposed to know, which speaks to the health and wealth thing sure. as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to make God do what you want him to do for you, you don't know God. That's not how this thing works. Right. But I know a ton of people that aren't, chasing after health and wealth thing that would never enter a church because they're convinced God hates them at this point. They got the fear part of it. Yeah. They've got no chance. And so it was really cool when we did this little reading and takeaway, we were kind of workshopping it and playing with that, that passage. And when I say that, I'm not trying to belittle, but when I say play, just, you know, you're working it, you're thinking it through, you're talking it through. Wrestling with it. And as we wrestled the passage and work it through, we all came to the conclusion, he might be saying, do not fear just because he wants them to see, no, 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 no. You don't need to be afraid of me. I'm approachable. I am God. I am going to do what you've asked me to do. You don't need to be afraid. Just believe. Do you believe? Yeah, that's good. And then I love the the blurting out of the one character. Help my unbelief. You know, yeah. the dad here. And I love that passage. And I, I've had to live with that a bunch of times. I know you have too. Yeah. Just moments where, God, I, I, I do believe you. Help my unbelief. I, I can't see past this. And even if God doesn't answer my prayer the way I want him to, I'm still growing in my belief in that moment because I'm letting him define my purpose. That's that only believe, right? It's not, Yeah. it's just believe in him and what he's capable of and that he knows best. Sure. So cool. Alrighty. So here's what we would be doing. If we, you know, let's say we were going to preach Mark five through nine, we would have worked through the passage like this, kind of played with it. We would have done a ton more work. I mean, you know, you and I would have been underlining words and, linking yep. things and tying things together and just processing, processing, processing. But we wanted to bring you into that process a little bit. And then we also wanted to show you some of those takeaways that we start to work through. Then we would take those and sort of craft the sermon around it yep. and bring it to you. And since we, I don't want to say gypped them by not giving a sermon on congregational might, meeting. Might have them. It's still going to be really good. Oh yeah. But it's not what they're expecting from us. We thought we'll, we'll throw one on the podcast for them. There we go. So this is the very loose fittings of what a sermon would feel like and be like. And if you think, man, that would be fun to sit in the office with those guys. Uh, it's never as polished as this is. It's a whole lot more <laughs> weird, crazy, walking down rab- rabbit holes and rabbit trails that nobody really cares about. But we'll make it look really good like we just did. I hope so. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.